And it's, it's really hard to define it. Uh, you you kind of know it when you're in it, right? When, you, when you're in love, you know you're in love. You're excited about that other person, and you, you want to spend uh, all your time with that person. And so, you know, men, when is the last time you told your wife, but honey, I, I have a warm regard for you? <laughs> That's a good way to get a smack in the head, right? Uh, that, that's, that's not how you tell your wife you love them. You, you, you pour out love for them, and, and, and we, don't, we don't necessarily pour it out by saying, I have a warm regard for you. Uh, you experience it. It's an emotion that you experience, and it's an emotion that you show uh, by action. Uh, love shows itself by what it does, right? We, we, we think about uh, the way we sacrifice for one another and the way we give uh, to one another uh, when we're in love with them. And when you love somebody, you're willing to do that. You're willing to sacrifice for them. Uh, you're willing to be vulnerable to them. Uh, there are some things about you that only your wife knows or only your husband knows, and that's a good thing, right? Because you have allowed yourself to be vulnerable to that person only, but you sure wouldn't want uh, other people maybe to know those things because you're willing to give yourself wholly over to that person. And, and, and when you're willing to do that, uh, that's what love is. And so you're even willing to die uh, for that person. And so uh, I have never owned a pair of jeans that I would be willing to die for, uh, but I would die for my wife and I would die for my kids. Uh, and even so, uh, I don't love them perfectly. Uh, only Jesus loves perfectly, and so that's what we're, we're talking about today. He, he loves us perfectly, he loves us sacrificially, he loves us willingly, uh, and he shows us his love in all the, way that, the, all the ways that he loved us while he came to earth and as he died, and, and he wants us to love one another the same way. And, and so as we begin, I want to review the passage that uh, uh, my family read for you earlier. We're going to be in John chapter 15 today, and so uh, verse 15, 12 says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And that is a very, very powerful verse. This, this verse alone would take a lifetime to expound because uh, it really is, is asking two questions. Uh, how did Jesus love us? And then how do we go about loving each other? And as we think about that, we think about the love of God. And that's the, that's the kind of thing that we're going to be talking about today. Because if, we, if we're going to model Jesus' love for one another, we have to understand how Jesus loved us first. What did he mean when he said, just as I have loved you? Uh, so I have a bunch of ways that Jesus loved us. And then we're going to talk about how we're supposed to love each other. In response, so as we, we read, uh, continuing through this, this passage that we read, uh, John uh, chapter 15, we're talking about uh, this love. How has Jesus loved us? And in the context of the incarnation, which is what we're talking about, of course, as we talk about the birth of Jesus and Christmas Eve and all that, uh, I think the best passage that describes what this love is like is from Philippians uh, chapter 2. And so we'll spend a little time uh, in uh, this passage today. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross." So, how did Jesus love us? The first thing that he did was he became a man. Uh, although he existed in the form of God, what does that mean? 
This is, this is Paul's way of saying that Jesus is an eternal being, uh, that he is deity, uh, and that yet he is still separate from God the Father. Uh, you know that John said it this way, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's saying in that that, that Jesus is God, he's eternal uh, as God is, but he's also equal to God, but yet separate at the same time. And so he has this uh, deity in him. He, he's got this form of God. He is God uh, in the beginning, and he was with God in the beginning. And, and so he, he says that, that I, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, uh, something to be held onto, uh, something to strive for uh, necessarily, because he always possessed it. And it also means that, that he didn't take advantage of all these uh, divine attributes that he had, but rather he poured his divinity in onto us and, and let us benefit from all the divinity in him. And so uh, most of us, you know, we, we have a gift or two that God has given us. We're good at certain things and, and we use those things to our advantage. And God wants us to do that, but he also wants us to use the gifts that he's given us to other people's advantages as, as well. And so uh, as we pour ourselves out in acts of service to others, that's what we're doing. We're taking what God has given to us and we're giving to others uh, in the same way that, that uh, he gives to us. But God himself, he's not in the business of acquiring uh, knowledge or power or, or stuff like, like we do on earth, right? We, we acquire houses and cars and bank accounts and whatever else. God doesn't do that. He doesn't acquire stuff or hoard stuff. God is in the business of giving away. He gives away uh, his attributes to us so that we can know his love and, and know the love uh, of the Trinity. And, and so uh, when we think about uh, you know, God who, who pours out on us, who gives us all that he has. Uh, I think about uh, a lot of our superhero movies. Uh, the reason that we love our superheroes, the reason we love Superman, he comes from another planet and he has strength and power that, that we don't have and he finds us in our weakness and he rescues us from, from, from the evil that is in the world. And so we appreciate Superman, uh, but he's a superhero. He's a mythical figure. God actually did that for us, and so we should love God uh, the same way. And, and so as we think about this verse, we have the de deity of God and the humanity of God in the same verse, all, all collapsed into this, into this tiny verse. And so God gives himself away to us, and he loves us by becoming a man. Secondly, he loves us by leaving heaven. I want you to think about all that Jesus gave up when he left heaven to become a man, when he left his heavenly throne and came to earth. He, he loved us by accepting all the limitations uh, that humanity has in all of our weakness. Uh, Jesus became a human being. And, and so as such, uh, he left this perfect relationship that he had eternally with God and with the Holy Spirit in heaven, and he took on flesh. And, and there are so many verses in the Bible uh, that talk about this eternal, perfect relationship that exists between God uh, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit eternally. And so these are the verses that describe the Trinity in all of its mystery and all of its majesty and glory at the same time. And so I just wanna spend a couple minutes talking about some of these verses that describe the Trinity because when we see the love that the Father and, and the Son and the Holy Spirit have for each other that existed eternally and how they love each other eternally and how they give to each other eternally, then we can start to have some sense of how 
Jesus loved us by coming, and then how he wants us to love each other uh, while we're here. And so uh, I have uh, uh, some verses here that talk about the the love between the Trinity, and they all come from the Gospel of John. Uh, In the Gospel of John, we see that the Father loves the Son. Uh, Verse 335, you can just write these verses down and you can read them later, but I'll read them for you now. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all the things that he himself is doing. Verse 1017, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I can take it up again. And John 15, 9, Just as the Father has loved me, so I also have loved you. So this eternal relationship, this love of the Father that he has for his Son has existed eternally, but at the same time, uh, the Son also loves the Father. John 14, 31, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as he commanded me. And because Jesus loves the Father, he seeks to please the Father in all things. And so John 5, 30 says, I can do nothing on my own initiative as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus looking to please his Father. And in 829, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And so you have the father and the son uh, in perfect relationship with each other, loving each other and looking to please each other, looking to delight uh, in each other as well. And so the father delights to glorify the son. He wants to glorify Jesus. John 8, 54 says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is the father who glorifies me of whom you say, he is our God. Uh, John 13, 32 Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And finally, verse 1722, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, so that they may be one, just as we are one. So we have this eternal relationship, the Father and the Son loving each other, glorifying each other. Uh, Jesus himself delights in glorifying the Father. Uh, John 17, 1, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And even the Spirit takes part in this. The Holy Spirit delights to glorify the Son. He says uh, in uh, John 16, 14, He, speaking of the Spirit, will glorify me, and He will take of mine and will disclose it to you. So we have this relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, working in perfect love, glorifying each other, delighting in each other, and even honoring each other. John 5, 22 and 23, for even, not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. And he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. And so all of these verses, just talking about this relationship between the Trinity, uh, how they love each other, delight in each other, glorify each other, and they even mutually indwell each other. Uh, And so we look at uh, the verses talking about indwelling. Uh, John chapter 10, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe in me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And uh, chapter 14, verses 9 and 10, Have I been with you so long, Philip, and yet you do not understand? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? And and so we have all these relationships, and and how these uh, relationships have existed eternally, forever and ever and ever, uh, before uh, there was time, the three members of the Trinity, loving each other, glorifying each other, reveling to glorify each other. And so Jesus loved us enough 
to leave that perfection and come to the earth and become a man. And when he came to become a man, he became a humble servant. He loved us by becoming a servant. He became a man, but in his humanity, he never set aside his deity. He was always fully man, and yet he was God. And the fact that he appears in the form of a man emphasizes that he is fully human, uh, and, and at the same time, he's unlike us in the fact that, that he is still God, and he possesses all these divine attributes. He lived a sinless life. Uh, he appeared in the flesh. But what does Philippians 2.7 tell us? He emptied himself, uh, and he took on the form of man for our benefit. And so when we're thinking about emptying ourselves, uh, a lot of theologians think that means that he emptied himself of divine attributes uh, and that he, he, he left that in heaven and, and he didn't bring that with him to earth to become a man. Uh, and and there, there is something to that because the son doesn't know everything that the father knows. Only the father knows when the son will come again. Uh, and yet at the same time, uh, Jesus did become hungry, he did become thirsty, he did uh, suffer stress and anxiety as he was in the garden. Uh, and so those are human limitations. But then at the same time, others think, no, he couldn't have emptied himself of all divinity because he did miracles on earth, and only God can do that. And Jesus seemed to know a whole, whole lot more uh, about what was going to happen to him, right? He was able to prophesy about what was going to happen to him when he went to Jerusalem. So. Uh, the theologians debate about these things, and, and to me, I don't think that's as important as the fact that Jesus knew what was ahead of him when he came to earth, and he came to earth anyway to pour himself out for us, to pour out his lifeblood for us so that we could have eternal life. And so he loved us by becoming uh, this servant. And finally, he loved us by dying for us, Philippians 2.8, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. You know that there was no more shameful way, no more painful way, no more humiliating way uh, for somebody to die in that day than to be uh, crucified. They were taken out naked and they were nailed to this cross. And, and so uh, if you've read about how crucifixion kills you, or if you've ever seen the passion of the Christ, then you have some idea of what's involved in this. They lay you down on this wooden beam and they drive these iron spikes right through your limbs and into the wooden cross, breaking bones, destroying nerves and arteries and all those things. And then they lift you up on that cross and they slide you into this slot to hold the cross up and the jolt alone of being put into that uh, slot, uh, being wait, waiting there to die, would be more pain than you and I have ever experienced. And then try to imagine yourself uh, with your feet nailed to the cross. You need to lift yourself up to breathe. Uh, and, and every time you lift yourself up to breathe so your diaphragm can expand and contract so that you can push air through your lungs, you have to push up on this nailed foot of yours so that you can breathe. And the pain is unimaginable and unbearable, and yet... Uh, there you are on that cross, and you'll be there until you die. And, and yet, uh, crucifixion was not a fast death. Uh, crucifixion, most victims took two or three days sometimes before they died. So imagine that, two or three days waiting for that death to come, uh, mercifully at that time. Uh, it's just an unbelievable death uh, to think about. it. And so it's a slow death, and it's the worst human invention ever conceived. And yet, our Lord faced that cross and he said, I will go there for you because I love you that much. It's unheard of uh, humility, unheard of submission to the Father, and unheard of love. It's hard for us to comprehend. Uh, who does this? 
Uh, who, who of us loves another that much? It, it's hard to love the way God loves. Uh, why would he die for us? Well, he would die for us because he created us and he loves us and he wants, to be, uh, wants us to be in heaven with him. Uh, and so that's what the meaning of the incarnation is, right? Jesus came to live, yes, but really he came to die. Uh, that's, that was his purpose. And when he left heaven in the flesh, the father loved Jesus, of course, but yet he had to pour out his wrath on Jesus so that we could have our sin removed. And God would glorify Jesus again. We know that that's coming. We know that that has happened. As we continue in Philippians, if we finish off this, this amazing passage, it says, For this reason also God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Jesus has been glorified, and ultimately he's going to be glorified at the end of times when every knee will bow before him. But before God glorified Jesus, he had to turn away from him uh, that dark and, and miserable Friday afternoon, and he had to pour out his wrath on Jesus, uh, the wrath that we deserve for the sins that we committed so that we could be reconciled to God. And, and before he ever became a man, he knew that this was coming, and yet he came to die on this Roman cross so that you and I could live and not have to pay for our sins ourselves. That is the love of God. That's what it means when Jesus says, love each other just as I have loved you. Now, if that doesn't sound like an impossible task, uh, I don't know what does. Uh, how is it possible uh, for us to love each other that way, that perfectly, that sacrificially? Uh, how do we do that? Well, let's go back, uh, starting again with, with uh, John 15, where we started earlier. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. So how do we do that? Uh, the first thing that we have to understand is that uh, in the Gospels, uh, particularly the Gospel of John, when we read about Jesus and his interactions uh, with his disciples, he wants them to remain in his Father's love. That is his number one goal. He, he didn't do good deeds for them just to do good deeds for them. The point was that he would draw men to himself and then keep men in his Father's love. And so that's what the high priestly prayer of John chapter 17 is all about. And you know that if you've read uh, John 17, uh, the last time you've read it, you probably noticed that, that Jesus is, is praying to the Father. Uh, Father, keep them in your name, verse 11, the name which you have given me, so that they may be one even as we are. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. And verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. So if we're going to love others, uh, first we need to love them with the same motivation that Jesus loved us. We want to love others so that we can draw other people to Christ, and, and we want to draw them to Christ, and we want to keep them in Christ, right? We want, we want them to, to love the Lord like we love the Lord and, and help them stay in the love of the Lord. And, and Jesus always had the eternal interest of his disciples in mind uh, when he was doing things for them, when he was teaching them, when he was doing healings. All these things were, were uh, part of Jesus's motivation. 
And so if we're going to love the way Jesus loved, we have to have that same motivation. We have to remain in his love just like he wants uh, the people that we will meet uh, to remain in his love. And so uh, this, these verses, John 15, 12 through 17, remember these come right on the heels of the vine and the branches uh, discussion that Jesus has uh, with his disciples. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. You can do nothing apart from me. And so if we're going to do uh, or love as Jesus loved, we have to remain in Jesus, in the vine, uh, so that we can love like he loved. And so uh, with this motivation in mind, with the, with the motivation that we keep people in Jesus's love and draw them to the Father's love, uh, here's what we do. So we'll continue through uh, this passage in John 15. The first thing we do is that uh, loving as Jesus loved means that we are willing to lay down our lives for our friends. What Jesus did during his Passion Week is the most extreme example of love ever, ever done in the history of humanity. Uh, and so John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. And, and that is an extreme example of love, but that's the kind of love that Jesus wants us to love each other with. And now when we do that, of course, our, our lives have no redemptive value. If, if we die for somebody, that doesn't mean that they have eternal life. Only Jesus can give that. Uh, all we can do is, is temporarily save someone's life. Uh, physically, they're all going to die. But spiritually, Jesus's death has redemptive value. Our death for them is just a, a something, it's, it's the most extreme sacrifice that we could make on behalf of someone else. And, and we're probably not going to be asked to do that. But if we are asked to do that, would we be willing to do it like Jesus did? And that's a hard question. Uh, the answer is not always yes, right? Uh, for your family, maybe, and then as you, as you spread out a little further, uh, you wonder what you would do. Would you give your life for another uh, like Jesus did uh, if it meant that their soul uh, would be in eternity uh, forever? Uh, that's a tough question, and it's something that we need to examine our souls to ourselves to wonder if, if we would do that kind of thing. Uh, but that's what it means, uh, laying down our lives. That, that's, that's how we love others. That's the first way. The second way that Jesus loved each other uh, or, or wants us to love each other, what it means is, is that we have to be a servant like Jesus was a servant. In John 15, 14, he says, uh, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Well, what did Jesus command? In John 13, 34, he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now, as we read in John 13, that comes right on the heels of Jesus doing the foot washing, right? He, he humbled himself he gets down on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet. And that is the most menial, most humble act of service that there was uh, in the first century. And so that's the kind of love that he wants us to show for each other. It's a model of humble, a sacrificial love of a servant. And it doesn't necessarily mean foot washing. There are millions of things that we can do for another uh, that, uh, that we can show our love uh, to them. You can invite your neighbor over for coffee. Uh, you could bring his garbage cans up to, to his house. You could, if you see his newspaper out on the sidewalk, you could toss his newspaper up onto the front steps, right? I mean, just tiny little things that make us attractive, that may give us the opportunity to witness to them, to, to speak the gospel to them uh, in some way. Uh, and so that's what we want to do. Uh, we want to, to uh, love others that way. And that's why Jesus said uh, in the next verse, verse 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Uh, Jesus spent time with people that were sometimes unlovable. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He spent time uh, with immoral women uh, speaking to them. Uh, he associated with foreigners. He blessed little children. 
And there's nothing supernatural about any of these things, right? That there's nothing, there's no miracles there. We can all do this ourselves. We can love the way Jesus loved uh, in this way. And so uh, we want to be sure that, that we model this kind of servanthood the way Jesus modeled this servanthood for us. A third thing that we can do, loving as Jesus loved means knowing what Jesus is doing and joining him in his work. You know, there's a book by a guy named Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. And that's, this is the premise of his book. He says, look for where God is working and go and join him uh, in his work. And, and 1515 says, no longer do I call you slaves for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So the disciples were clued in about what Jesus was doing. And they just didn't fully get it, right? Uh, when you think about the, all the things that Jesus was doing, uh, he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. He was uh, helping the blind see, and, and he was proclaiming liberty to the captives, uh, and doing all these things that, that the disciples would recognize uh, as something that the Messiah was going to do from his Old Testament prophecy. But about the death and resurrection, they were a little more fuzzy. They didn't quite get that. Uh, three times in Mark alone, he said, I am going up to Jerusalem and there I'm going to be uh, tortured and scorned and spat upon and they will, they will kill the Son of Man and three days later uh, I will rise. And they didn't quite get that. Uh, they got it a little better after Jesus rose from the dead, but we get it even better, right? Because we have the whole New Testament, we have the whole Bible, we stand on the shoulders of 2,000 years of theologians uh, who have explained all of this to us but even now, we don't fully get it. And we look forward to the day when we will. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Then I will know, even as I am fully known. And so we, we eagerly look forward to that day. And we're told uh, in chapter 1 of Acts that, that, that we're going to go out and, and be his disciples, just like his original disciples. Uh, Acts chapter 1 talks about uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even the most remote parts of the whole earth. And, and so uh, that was a commission for the disciples, and that's a commission for us uh, as well. And the disciples did just what Jesus told them to do. They scattered and went throughout the whole known world, and they preached the gospel uh, to others, and we have to do it too. Jesus told them what to do. He, they knew what his work was, and they went out and joined him uh, in that work. And we need to look for opportunities to do the same. Uh, fourth, loving Jesus as Jesus loved means that we must bear much fruit. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. So Jesus chose these 12 disciples, and he appointed them to go out and bear fruit. Well, what does that mean? Uh, bearing fruit in this context is about uh, making converts, and it's about making disciples. Uh, and and if, if you love like Jesus loved, then you are going to try and make disciples, you're going to try and make converts, but you're also going to be subject to ridicule, uh, to scorn, to rejection, all of these things that Jesus was subject to. If we're going to do this, what Jesus commanded us to do, if we're going to love like this, we have to be willing to accept rejection and scorn and mocking and whatever else may come our way. But, but that's what loving as Jesus loved means in terms of making disciples and converts. And finally, loving Jesus means we love continuously, not occasionally. Verse 17, this I command you, that you love one another. 
The word love here, the, the tense of the verb is what they call a continuous present tense. That means we continue to do it in the present for whenever we're in the present tense, which is always, of course, we live in the present tense. And so we continue to love each other, uh, not in a single random act of kindness here and then, right? We, we love to, to talk about our, our, our random acts of kindness, but that's not what this is about. Uh, this is about loving each other continuously, uh, sacrificially. It's a lifestyle. Uh, it's a part of who we are. It would be noteworthy, noteworthy if we didn't do it uh, rather than if we did. It's the norm rather than the exception. And this is how Jesus loved us. And he taught us this love. This love that exists in the Trinity, he taught us all about that kind of love. And then he taught us uh, what it's like. It's love that exists in community. And so we love each other in community, like the Trinity is three persons living in love in community. That's the example for us to follow. And he showed us how to pour out our love and how to honor each other and to love each other as an example by how, his life, how he lived his life. And he modeled it for us in his life and he modeled it for us in his death and he told us to go and do the same. And so uh, as we celebrate Christmas this year, uh, I pray that you may have specific individuals in mind uh, who need this kind of blessing from you, who need this kind of love from you uh, to draw them to Christ. Uh, you know, in John chapter four, John has an appointment with the woman at the well. But the text says that when John, or I'm sorry, Jesus has a, an appointment with the woman at the well and he has to go from Jerusalem to Galilee, it says he had to pass through Samaria. Actually, he didn't have to pass through Samaria. There were different ways to go uh, to Galilee that didn't require you to pass through Samaria. And in fact, Jews went out of their way not to go through Samaria to get to Galilee because they hated the Samaritans and they did not want to talk to them or be in contact with them. And so when it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, it's because he had a divine appointment with this specific woman that he planned to see. And so that's why he had to go through. It wasn't a geographic thing. There were lots of ways to go. He had to go through because he had to see this woman. And we can have these kind of divine appointments as well, if we are willing to empty ourselves like Jesus did. So who in your family needs to hear about Jesus? And, and, and who do you know who is hurting, who could use a visit from you? Uh, students, who, who of your classmates uh, could use some encouragement? Uh, who do you know uh, who looks like they, they, they might need a little love from you this, this holiday season? Uh, we can do that. Our slogan here at Grace Redeemer is to love God, love others, and help people follow Jesus. That just says it in a nutshell. That, that is the love of God, and he wants us to show this kind of love for others. He, he, that's all he asks us to do. So let's go forth this Christmas Eve, and, and let's just show the love of Christ, the love that he loved us with. Let's show that love to others as we go from here. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we are just so astounded as we consider your love and what it was and what it is, and uh, Lord, the way that you loved us when your word says uh, love each other just as I have loved you to consider what it means to, to think about loving just as you loved us. We just can't love that way, Lord. We would like to love that way, but we just cannot love as perfectly and as willingly and as sacrificially as you do and did because 
we're sinful creatures, Lord, and, and you have perfect love, and we do our best to emulate your love as best as we can, Lord. Help us, Lord, have the Holy Spirit uh, just activate within us and, and help us to go forth and show this love that you loved uh, us with to others as we celebrate your birth, Lord, and all that it means. We just thank you so much for your birth and for your life and for your death and resurrection, Lord. With by it, we are Christians. By it, we are saved. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. <laughs>